Good afternoon. If you'd like to take your Bibles out and open them up to the book of Matthew, I'll be reading from there in just a moment in Matthew chapter 21 as we consider one of the parables that Jesus spoke. Now, I confess to you this morning that this week has been a, a very busy week, uh, and for that reason, we're not going to have a PowerPoint, but I believe Jesus is, is using an illustration, a picture to portray His point. So I hope that in, in lieu of a PowerPoint, we'll get that word out in a minute, in lieu of that, we will just try to focus our minds on the picture that Jesus is painting in Matthew chapter 21. A few weeks ago, we talked about Mark in chapter 11 and the triumphant entry and what that really depicted in the life of Jesus as He came into Jerusalem and His followers were... We're, we're shouting and, and exorbitant about His entry into Jerusalem. Here comes the King to His city. But then He went to the temple and, and really doesn't find much there. And coming back the next day, He finds the, uh, the money changers and the people buying and selling in the temple and He runs them out and cleanses the temple and He pronounces that judgment there. Uh, My house should have been a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Looking back to Jeremiah 7 when... Jeremiah was also telling the, the uh, God's people, remember what you're doing to the temple and remember Shiloh where the tabernacle once stood and how God wiped out the place where his, the home of his, uh, of his name was found. The same thing happened in their day and the same thing was going to happen uh, in the days of Israel uh, in Jesus's, uh, around Jesus' life. So he's pronouncing this judgment and we're going to see a shift now in Matthew's account after that, some of the parables that we've looked at before, the parable of the unmerciful servant, the parable of the labors in the vineyards, you'll notice in those, in those chapters, chapter Matthew 18 and Matthew 20, that he's dealing with questions that his disciples came to him and asked. His disciples were curious. But some of these later parables we're going to read, the parable of the two sons that we'll look at this afternoon, the parables of the wicked vine dressers, and the parable of the wedding feast, these are in connection to questions or opposition that he receives from these same Jews that he has just condemned. Uh, they're going to be having some problems with, uh, with teaching, such as calling this a, temp, a, a, a house of uh, den of thieves. Excuse me. You, where do you get the right to say that? In fact, that's what we're reading in, in chapter 22, starting in verse 23. Says now, excuse me, Matthew 21, 23. says, When he came to the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? You see, they're, they're very agitated with what Jesus is saying, with the reaction to the people. It was when the people reacted to his teaching that they begin to devise ways to destroy him. And he responds by asking them, the, the, the baptism of John, was it from heaven or men? And they are afraid to answer because... No matter what they do, no matter how they answer, it's going to mess with their power. If we say it's from heaven, He's going to say, then why didn't you listen to Him? And our power is gone. We have to submit to Him. If we say it was from man, the people are going to be mad at us and are, once again, our power is gone over these people because they hold John as a prophet. And so they answer Him nothing. And Jesus says, I'm not going to tell you what authority I do this by then, but... I will tell you this. And that's where we're going to pick up. In verse 28, looking at the parable of the two sons. He says, But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and he said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. 
which of the two did the will of his father? And they said to him, the first. And Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots entered the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. The parable that he uses here, a parable of the, the, the two sons, it's a, it's a simple picture. That's not a picture that's hard for us to, uh, to, to imagine. You have a father and you have his, his children. He says, guys, this is what I want you to do. And one says, I'll be obedient to you, but doesn't do it. While the other one says, there's no way I'm doing that. And yet, he feels guilty about that later. And he goes and he does the work. And Jesus' explanation begins with that question. Which of these then is doing the will of the Father? Which one is pleasing to the Father? Which one is obeying the Father? And their answer is, is obvious. They say, well, of course, the first one is the one. The one that said, I wouldn't do it, but wound up doing it. The one that felt bad for, for his bad attitude. And his reply then, it's directly connected to them. Directly connected to their hearts, to their attitudes, to their behavior. Assuredly, I say to you, tax collectors and harlots will enter the kingdom of God before you. Now that is really really harsh language. Now he's drawing up this picture of the tax collectors and harlots. He's not talking about someone that's just not quite as righteous as you. In their minds, this is the scum of the earth. You don't get lower than this. <clears throat> and he's saying they're going to enter the kingdom of God before you. And I'm pretty sure that this upset them because they knew that he wasn't talking about just time. Oh, well, they'll go in first and then we'll go in after them. Entering before someone showed notoriety. It showed honor. It showed prestige. What he was saying was God is going to look at them as more worthy, more deserving of entering into the kingdom of God than He will look at you. Now, that's really cutting to the bone. How can you say these things? He says these things because John came and he told you about the way of righteousness and you didn't believe him. But who did? Who listened to John when he talked about these things? The tax collectors and the harlots. Those people that you thought were the scum of the earth, they're the ones that have the hearts that are repenting. They're the ones that are listening and they're turning to Him. And even when you see that happening, you still refuse to change your mind. They were like the second son. They were like the one that was saying, I will go, but will not go. Will not do it. The tax collectors and harlots are being pictured as the first. And, and you have to think, this had to have been a huge shock. I mean, you picture yourself as a Pharisee of that day. You're walking around, you've got your phylactery broad, you've got people, you, come listen to me say a prayer on the corner of the streets. Look at how righteous I am. And here comes this guy who has recently turned the temples upside down, confronted everyone there saying, you're not bringing stuff back in here today. The temple's closed for business. In fact, you've turned it into a den of thieves. That means it's coming for destruction. And now he's saying, and guess what? Harlots and tax collectors are going to enter the kingdom before you. What a shock this had to have been to these people. How? How can you possibly say this? How can you possibly think this? And Luke records even further. In Luke chapter 7, records even further some of the words of Jesus as to the why this was going to be true. In Luke chapter 7, verses 29 through 30. <clears throat> He says, When all the people heard him, even the tax collectors, 
justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized for, by Him. Whenever they heard the things that John was preaching in the wilderness, their hearts were pricked. They felt terrible. They, they felt remorse and sorrow for the lives that they were living, for the things that they were offering up to God. And they came to John to be obedient to the gospel that he was calling them to at that time. But the Pharisees and the lawyers, they looked at all this. They looked at people changing their lives and went, I'm not going to be like that. I don't need to be like that. We see this especially played out between the prayer of the Pharisee and the publican. As the Pharisee uh, or the publican prays, beating his chest saying, Father, forgive me, I'm a sinner. And the Pharisee saying, I'm just glad I'm not like that guy. That's the heart that we're dealing with here. And he's saying, because of you all have reject, uh, rejected the counsel of God, they're going to enter the kingdom of, of heaven before you, the kingdom of God before you. And now Jesus is going to say a lot more as we read through these other parables, as we continue on through them. He's going to say a lot more concerning the, the religious leaders. And that's really where a lot of this is going to be focused on. The people that were the top of the religious scale, the people that were leading everyone else, everyone else looked at these people and said, these are religious people, these are people we need to be like. These are the kind of people that he is approaching in these parables. And we're going to look at those more. But first, I want us to consider some important lessons for today that we can draw from this parable. And the main point, the main point that I want us to take from Jesus' parable it seems to be the same thing that we read about in James. Be doers of the Word, not just sayers. What is it? He, it's not that He says, you all said, I'll never do that, and you never did it. He said, no, you said, I will do it, and you never did it. Be doers of the Word, and not just sayers. It's such an easy, easy place for us to fall into in our lives. To say, this is what God wants us to do. This is what I need to do. We do that with our songs. We sing this. Excuse me. We sing in our songs that we will we will serve God. We sang this uh, this morning. Dare to stand like Joshua. As you sing that song, you're making a proclamation to one another and to God. I'm going to do that. I'm going to stand like Joshua. Whenever things are hard, whenever things are difficult, I'm siding with God. Me and my family. This is the path, the path we're taking. Are we going to do that? We read God's Word and we find that there are things that He calls us to do. Things that He calls us to leave. Are we going to do that? It's very easy for us to fall into this same category. This is not something that was just, just stuck in the first century and we don't have to worry about that. This is a problem that's still prevalent today. And Jesus emphasized it on multiple accounts. In Matthew chapter 7, in verse 21, there, as Jesus talks about those who will come to Him on the day of judgment. Listen to what He says. Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of My Father in heaven. Many will say to Me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in Your name, cast out demons in Your name, done many wonders in Your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew You. Depart from Me, You who practice lawlessness. And then Jesus tells a children's story that we don't need to talk about right here. No! Jesus has more to say on this that's incredibly important for us today. He says, whoever hears my, these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them 
will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew on that house and it fell and great was its fall. All the way back in Matthew 7, do you see what Jesus is, is alluding to? Those who are sayers but not doers, that house is going to fall. And that house fell. He's talking to Jewish people at that time and the, the house of Israel that we see depicted in Jesus' day crumbles and collapses especially in 70 A.D. when it is finally wiped out by divine judgment. The temple is destroyed. The records are lost. There's not a house of Israel in a physical sense today. But Jesus is also saying, and this is the reason why He teaches the disciples to pray and believe, He says, I'm raising up another house. A house that you can belong to that is built on my foundation. The foundation of my life. The foundation of my examples and my righteousness. But that foundation is based upon people who say they will do it then actually do it. In Matthew 28, verse 20, even in Jesus' great commission, He teaches His disciples, I want you to go into the world. I want you to create disciples. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I want you to teach them to be doers of the Word. I want you to teach them to observe all things that I command. And so what we begin to see through this teaching is Jesus is showing us that greatness in the kingdom, those who will enter the kingdom first, again, that's not a position, that's, that's having a sense of honoring the eyes of God. Greatness in the kingdom is measured in terms of obedience. Now, a phrase like that, boy, that really makes a lot of people bristle. Greatness in the kingdom is measured in terms of obedience. That means I'm doing something to merit my salvation. I'm doing something to, to, to earn it. And that can't be biblical. That can't be in the Bible. And that's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that Jesus has shown over and over again that He sees obedience and He sees lack of obedience. And one of these is greatly displeasing to Him. And that's a lesson that we need to learn today because it is common for us. We mentioned this a little bit this morning. That there is a carefree gospel. Cheap grace Grace is just given to you and you don't have to do anything for it. It's just, it's just your gift and you're saved and there's nothing you have to change in your life. We talked about humanism this morning. The idea that I'm going to be the God. And did you know, you know, when you think humanism, I hope you normally tie that to atheism. There is no other God but me. I'm the God. But humanism can also be tied to Christianity. You can get online and Google it. I, I heard this the other day and I was fascinated. They are such a thing as not only theistic humanists, that is, humanists that believe in God, but there are Christian humanists. I'm a humanist. I believe that, that man is the greatest depiction of morality in the world, but I believe in God, and I believe in the Bible, and I believe in Jesus Christ, and I believe He died for my sins, but I don't have to do anything because He died for my sins. That's where a lot of this idea of once saved, always saved. Once I've accepted Jesus into my life, I don't have to do anything else. He's going to save me. That's a Christian humanist. We need to be aware of these things that exist because it could be that that exists in our lives, but I guarantee you it exists in your friends' and your family's lives as you dig into those, those fingers and tendrils that spread out into the religious world. So this is a lesson that we sorely need. How many people profess Jesus as Lord, but they don't do what He says? They're a lot like that second son. They're like that son who says, I'm going to do the will of my father. I love God. I want God to be pleased with me. But then they don't actually do the things that he calls us to do. A lot of times this comes, I believe, not through 
hatred of God. When you read about the Pharisees, they loved God. Now, they loved themselves, I would argue, even more. But they never once got up and said, I hate, I hate God. I hate Yahweh. I, I, I hate the, the, the fact that we have to serve this being that we, we can't see but has done so much. No, they loved God. But they had a great misunderstanding. Joe talked about this in our study on Saturday. I, I've thought about this so often since he said it. They had the wrong narrative. That was the problem with the Jews. They had the wrong story. They were reading the story and going, he's going to set up the physical kingdom. And we're going, to be, we're going to be these super righteous people because of all the things that we're doing and that's going to make us perfect. And they'd, they'd missed the story. They'd missed what God was really doing. They'd missed who God really was. They missed what God required of them. And even though they said, I'll do it, they weren't doing it. Many people today still have a misunderstanding of who God is, what God requires of us. The doctrine of salvation by grace through faith is 100% true. We are saved by grace through faith. But we have to understand what that means. That means that we are called to do something. We are called to make changes in our lives. We are called to follow after Christ, denying ourselves, picking up our cross, following after Him. We talked about this in our little kids class the other day, and boy, they get it. This isn't a hard concept to understand. We talked about if somebody was was going to provide you with a, a tablet... Uh, a phone, an iPad, something. They said, it's free. You can have it. You just got to come over here and take it. You sit there all day long and say, yeah, I've got a free gift. I've got a free tablet. It's mine. Tell everybody in the world, I've got it. But you never walk over there and pick it up. You don't actually have it. You can't actually use it. You can't actually experience the joy of it. And I know that is a, a, a very broad stroke. But even children can understand The gift that God has given us, it's a gift. Salvation is a gift. Paul talks about that in the Roman letter. Oftentimes, it's a free gift. But he still requires us to take hold. The same way that he required the Israelites to go in and take hold of the land that he said over and over again, I have given to you. It's yours. Go take it. What did they do? They said, we're afraid. We don't think we can. People have misunderstood that still today thinking that requiring obedience is requiring some form of legalism, some form of keeping a a strict set of laws that somehow you're the one that's earning your salvation. But nothing could be farther from the truth. You know, we already read Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 and 23, where Jesus said, it's not those who say on that day, Lord, Lord, it's those who do the will of the Father. Matthew 28, 20, he He taught them to go out and to teach others to obey. John chapter 14, excuse me, John 14 and verse 15, he says, If you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 21, he who has kept, or he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Chapter 15 and verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. In verse 14, You are my friend if you do whatever I commanded you. I could go on because I've got a lot more written down. Paul talks about this. John talks about this over and over and over again. Jesus and His disciples, His apostles, are telling us that if we love God, 
And if we are going to reside with Him and Him with us, He expects us to obey Him. He expects us to follow Him. And we have to remember that. We have to remember that when we keep God's commandments on earth, we're in no way earning or meriting our salvation. What we're doing is we're being servants. Exactly as He was. In Luke chapter 17, verse 10, He says at the end of the day, it's still, we're just still unprofitable servants. We're saved by the grace. Think of Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3 and verses 4 through 7. <clears throat> there he says, But when the kindness of the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we shall become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. People read that and they say, ah, oh, that goes against what you just said. Not by, not by your righteous acts. But I say, continue reading. Verse 8, this is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Verse 14, let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. Being unfruitful was the reason Jesus condemns the Jews. They didn't put on the fruits of righteousness. Yes, we are saved by grace through faith. And because of that, we have to put on good works. But what does that look like? It looks like obedience. It looks like following God's commands. And so, when the religious leaders of Jesus' day, when they rejected the counsel of God for themselves, by not accepting John's teaching that you need to repent, you need to turn away. You, need, you are walking this direction. You need to turn around and start walking that direction. And you need to be baptized. When they rejected that, Jesus says that they are, like, they are like this second son who said, I'll do the will of God, but refused to do it. And I want you to understand, they probably believed that they had good, sound, scriptural reasons to reject that. Theological-based reasons to say, I can't, that, that's not what God wants from me. I believe that. I don't think the Pharisees were, were stupid. They knew God's law. They studied God's law. They had reasons, but those reasons weren't based out of faith. They were based on the hardness of their hearts. And sometimes that's really, really hard to differentiate, especially when you're the one with a hard heart. In similar fashion today, there are many religious leaders. There are many religious, we'll just say, people. Religious people who are going to hear the same thing. They reject the very clear teachings of Christ when it comes to to things like repentance and baptism. Mark 16, verses 15 and 16, as He tells them to go and preach the Gospel to all creatures in all the world, what are they preaching? He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. Acts 2, verse 38, the message that Peter preached after getting this command from Jesus, going to the Jews and telling them, you need to repent. You need to stop thinking you're, you're moving in one direction that says Jesus Christ is a blasphemer. Jesus Christ is wicked. He's working by the power of Satan. You need to turn away from that and start seeing Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And you need to repent. And you need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. But what about some harder ones? What about some harder ones? Because we, we, we really it's easy for us to read these passages and say, the people out there 
They're the second son. They're the ones that say, yeah, I'll do the will of God, but don't do it. What about Philippians chapter 2? Boy, this is a tough one for me. This is a hard one for me because Holly will tell you this is one of the things I'm best at. Philippians 2 verse 14, Do all things without complaining and disputing. Man, I can be a complainer. Things aren't going my way and I can harp and whine. And I mean, I would make an Israelite in the wilderness just, I'd make them embarrassed the way that I complain. But you know what? That's a command. And by saying that I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm saying I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to be a complainer. So are we like the second son there when we say, I'll do the will of God, but then we don't do it? We've got to work on that. What about 1 Peter chapter 4? Here's another good one. 1 Peter chapter 4. In verse 9, he says, Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. It ties right back to complaining. We read that, we have to think that's a command of God. I'm saying, I'm going to follow you, God. I'm going to do the things that you want me to do. And yet, I'm not opening my house ever to someone that is in need. I'm not taking people out for, for lunch. I'm not doing something. I'm not going to give you a list of things that equal hospitality. What I'm saying is, we have to do something to be hospitable. If we're not being hospitable in some way, and, and doing it without grumbling, without complaining, I'm happy to be hospitable. Are we not like the second son? Who says, yeah, I'll do the things of God, but doesn't do it. There are many who reject the counsel of God. And maybe they even reject it on things that, are, that they believe are scriptural. Sometimes they reject it on reasons that are just plain selfish. But I want you to know, when someone who is unbiased, and I think that's depicted in our kids, they don't have biases. They may have, a, they may have knowledge that comes from us, but they don't have any doctrinal leanings. You know, none of our kids are coming going, well, you know, the Southern Baptist Convention says this. They just know what they've heard from the Word. And when they read that, and you, you read these passages, you say, hey, what does this passage mean? Acts 2.38, what does it mean? You know what they say? They say it means we have to be baptized to be saved. If we want to go to heaven, we have to be baptized. We, want to, we have to repent. When you read it in Romans 10, what does that mean? It means that I have to study the, the, the Word to have faith. And it means that believing in God and confessing God is important for salvation. When you read it with an unbiased heart, without preconceived notions, people have no problem understanding what God is trying to convey. But Satan does everything he can to try to get other thoughts, other words to cloud our judgment. And so what I want us to, to think about this afternoon is could it be, is it possible, even remotely, that today there are just as many tax collectors and harlots who are going to enter the kingdom of heaven before myself? Ask yourself today, what kind of son am I being? Have I been the second son that said I'll do it, but didn't? If that's the case, we need to respond to the commands of the Lord. We need to listen to Him. Here's the good news. Is being like the second son, saying, I'll do it, but didn't do it, but then gets their heart pricked and starts doing it, puts you in the same boat as the first son, who said, no, I'm not going to do it, but then felt bad and started doing it. Be doers of the Word. Be followers of Christ. 
That's what we want to help you with this afternoon. If there's something that we can do to help you in your walk with Christ or to help you begin your walk with the Lord, it is our desire to do so here. Won't you please let us know how to come forward as we sing.